You've probably heard a lot of C.S. Lewis, but I wonder if you've heard this one. So this, the first C.S. Lewis, the C.S. Lewis quote is this. So it comes from his preface to a book written by one of the early church fathers, Anastasius, and his book was called On the Incarnation. And actually, the preface to the book is almost its own book. It almost has its own idea. And it says this, every age has its own outlook. It's specially good at seeing certain truths and specially liable to make certain mistakes. We all, therefore, need the books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period. And that means the old books. All contemporary writers share, to some extent, the contemporary outlook. Even those, like myself, C.S. Lewis, who, seemed most, who seem most opposed to it. And you can see here C.S. Lewis in a completely different generation saying something that I think many of us will resonate with, won't they? That actually there are times when we need to dig, dig in deeper to something that isn't present to get the rich truths out, to understand where we are. As we have come through these two years of COVID, there are a number of questions that people have, and it's affected people in strange ways. And actually, we can take on contemporary thought very easily, maybe through social media, maybe through just our discussions with our family and friends, maybe through work colleagues, and we can take on that. And we need to look at other books. And of course, I'm extending that today to not be this early church father's book, but to actually look at the Bible and to say, do you know what? We really need to look into what it says not to what we think it says, not to say, do you know what, I'll have that bit, but I'll not have that bit, and I'll pretend that bit doesn't exist, but actually to look at ourselves, to have our thoughts defined by what the Bible says, and to have that first. So what we're looking at today is a revelation about Jesus. It's about Jesus' nature. And it's distinctly one of those eternal truths that should affect us and our very being. It should have a huge impact on every Christian. So, we've got two passages today. Um, and I've asked Margaret if she would just come and uh, read those. It would be all right to do it on this one. If you can just read those two passages for me before we pray. Thank you, Margaret. Right, it's um, Luke chapter 9 and verses 7 to 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And now it's verses 18 to 20. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. But then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Wonderful. Thank you, Margaret. Shall we pray before we start? Lord Jesus, will you come and will you speak to us this morning? Will you help us look at these deep things of you, these um, amazing jewels in your, in your book, the Bible? Lord, will you, will you come and will you help us, Lord Jesus? Will you help us to be humble enough to have your words affect our thoughts, to have your words affect our actions? Lord Jesus, will you help us? Lord, I know myself, Lord, I know a struggle sometimes, Lord, to put you first, to put your word first. I pray that you would help me and us to do that this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love your words. Bless you, Lord. Such a joy to be here together as a family. And Lord, we're here for you. Not here for ourselves, Lord, we're not here for comfort. Lord, not here for an easy life. We're here for you. Amen. Okay, so we've got those two passages that were read by Margaret. And in between those, we have feeding of the 5,000. And we will hear about that, I think it's next week, isn't it? Okay, so that's a different sermon. But actually, there's an element that that story says has a similar message, but from a different, maybe contextual place. You see, there's a theme that goes all the way through Luke. There's a number of themes, but one of them is the identity of Jesus. You have questions being asked, you have statements being made, and his identity revealed I'm going to say progressively, but it's kind of in different bits and pieces. You get this bit of information. You get that bit of information. Now, for us, looking at it 2,000 years, we say, well, of course, that's obvious that what Jesus is. But remember, at the time, they didn't really know. They were having bits of information and putting them together. You know, he, he fed the 5,000. What does, what does that mean that Jesus is? What does that mean his nature is? Is he just one of these amazing miracle workers that have popped up now and then and disappeared? What does it mean? And so there there are these key things that happen through Luke's gospel. So I'm just going to go through a few passages uh, in Luke just to talk about those before I look at these two that were read this morning. Luke 3 verse 23, verse 22, this is part of Jesus' baptism. And the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. It's the start of that revelation. You are the voice from heaven that we would interpret as Father God. That voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit like a dove, Beautiful uh, concept of the, the Trinity here, isn't it? The Father from heaven, you've got the dove, you've got the Son being baptised, and then you've got this, if you like, revelation. My beloved Son, the Son of God. Luke 4.22, and this is after Jesus was speaking in the synagogue, says this, And all spoke well of him, and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this... Joseph's son. Jesus had spoken in the synagogue. He's spoken to the people. And they said, 
wow, he really says something deep. He's got some wisdom here, wisdom beyond his years. But isn't this just Joseph's son? You know, the carpenter's son, the man that we knew, the physical man, but speaking words that really have something else. And there's this element here, isn't this, of the humanity of Jesus coming through. Jesus the man, but also being element, just an element here of him being just more than that, being God as well. So there's that Jesus being fully man and fully God, just beginning to come through in that passage. Luke 4.41, where Jesus has healed many, that's the title of the, the, the kind of section in our Bibles, and it said, and demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So that word wasn't mentioned. It was just, again, that concept of the Son of God. But there was an element that the spiritual powers knew that they were dealing with, even if the disciples, the people of the day, didn't quite at that time. And then in Luke 5.21, there's uh, uh, Jesus has just healed a man who was paralysed, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can do that? Who can actually say your sins are forgiven? As I said, from our context, we're saying, Oh, yes, that's just Jesus. We know about Jesus. He's the forgiver of our sins. But from their context, they were putting together these different things and saying, Who is this man. Luke here is helping us and him slowly but surely to understand the nature of Jesus. Fully man, fully God, but also the Christ. Okay, so those are, if you like, some of the forerunning passages in Luke that give the context for what we're looking at in these two verses. And, and the, so these two passages. And these two passages are both about the identity of Jesus, but from two different perspectives. So we have the first one here, which is all about Herod's questions, Herod the Tetrarch. Let me just remind you about it. He said, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. So he heard about it. He was interested. Oh, lots of things happening now. Interesting times, aren't they? He was interested. He was perplexed. His mind was engaged and he thought, well, that's strange. Should we have a discussion about it? Why don't we have a debate? Jesus, the person who um, gets rid of demons because he's a demon himself, and let's have another debate. He was interested in what was going on. And maybe I'm typecasting Herod slightly. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Ah, well, Herod liked this. Because, as it says later, he was the one that had beheaded him. So I thought, oh, I'm part of this story as well. Not only is this something interesting, but it's something to do with me. I'm suddenly going to become important, am I? And he sought to see him. Didn't seek after Jesus, but he thought, yeah, I'd quite like to meet him. You know, it'd be interesting. Give me a bit of entertainment. A little bit of entertainment, like John did before I cut off his head. You know, a little bit of entertainment might be good. So he, if you like, I'm typecasting here as someone who is following in terms of popular interest 
of who Jesus might be. Someone who enjoyed the gossip. Someone who's heard the new stories. Oh, is this a new celebrity to happen? Maybe it's somebody who would be interested in intellectual discussion. Should we have an intellectual discussion about different religions and compare them? Is, is, is that an interesting thing to do? So I'm interested in Christianity, I'm interested in Jesus, but in an intellectual way, so we can compare what happens in one religion to another, and we could do some academic study. It could even be that he's the sort of person that might go on an alpha course. Not because they're interested in Jesus per se, but because they're just interested in discussing religious things. It'd be nice to be with some friends to discuss stuff. So there's a, a caricature, if you like, of Herod that comes out that maybe we can recognise with a number of people today in our age. But maybe this caricature comes a little bit closer to home. I've got a Napoleon quote here. It's not coming up on the board, but I thought you'd like a Napoleon quote that you may have heard it. Napoleon said about Jesus, I know men, the great Napoleon Bonaparte, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. I know men, I'm a leader of men, and I know that he wasn't a mere man because he was quite a leader. He was quite a leader. But he recognised if you like, the deity of Jesus. But did it affect him? Did it affect his morals? If you know anything about Napoleon Bonaparte, he had quite some morals, or lack of. Did it affect his kindness? Did it affect his compassion for the poor? Did it affect the way that he went about leading? No. But he knew that Jesus was more than a man, of course. But it didn't actually affect him. And who cares, to be honest, if you're an evil dictator, who cares what you believe? Because we can see the effects of what you do, can't we? We can think about the, some of the evil dictators that we know about in history and we can see their effects. And actually, that could be quite similar of Herod as well. And it's interesting, this last phrase, well, I'm going to go back to, he sought to see him. Herod sought to see Jesus. It would be interesting. So here's a challenging quote. Here's a really challenging quote, which I think might come up from A.W. Tozer. We all love A.W. Tozer from The Pursuit of God. He said this in his day. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. They go through life trying to love an ideal or trying to be loyal to a principle. So the challenge is here that some people who may identify themselves as Christians, maybe it's through they've got baptised, maybe it's through their church going, maybe it's through the friends that they have. But actually, he's no more a Christian than a non-Christian because it doesn't actually affect their life. That's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? That what we believe affects what we do. By your fruit, you will know them, isn't it? And that is a real challenge. That's a real challenge to all of us. That's a challenge to us as parents. That's a challenge to us as children of parents sometimes and how we graciously deal with them. It's a challenge to us all the way through that what we believe makes a difference in our everyday life. 
And it's a challenge that you and I go through daily, don't we? To make sure that we live up to the name of Jesus. I come back to then a verse that I read uh, last week because I love so much. I just found it. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says this. Do you remember it? Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let's press on, shall we? Let's press on to know him because he is the one that makes the difference. So let's have a look at that second um, passage. Luke chapter 9, 18 to 20. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, his disciples were with him and he asked them. Notice Jesus asked the question. He asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others say one of the prophets of old. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. If you like, for the disciples, this was one of those mountaintop experiences where they really found out who Jesus was, the one that they'd spent so much time with. And they'd seen bits and pieces. They'd seen him feed the 5,000. They said, who? Who exactly is he in calm the storm? Who is he? And here is the revelation. The trouble is, of course, the word Christ to us doesn't have the meaning that the word Christ has to them, does it? And because we're looking at it from our perspective, it's sometimes difficult to see that. And actually the word has already been used in Luke. Uh, if you remember one of the Christmas passages, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. So it had already been prophesied about him. So what does Christ mean? What does that word mean? What does Christ mean? Well, very simply, it just means the anointed one. The one who was anointed. And so the context in first century um, Palestine would have been, the anointing they would have seen is somebody being anointed as king. That's their idea. You anoint a king or you anoint a priest for their job. They would be anointed for their role. Because, of course, Jesus is our king, and he is our high priest, isn't he? And it gives us a little bit of a feeling of who he is. And the other thing I love here is it's not, Jesus is not an anointed one. There are many anointed ones around, but he is the anointed one. So you may see other people anointed for various things, but this is Jesus, the anointed one, the one we were expecting. Interestingly, the word Messiah is also linked with this. It's a transliteration of a Hebrew term. I'll let you work that out. I'm sure some people that will mean a lot to. With a very similar meaning. You see, the Jews expected that one day God would send a special deliverer to deliver them from the Roman occupation. And that word Messiah is caught up with that. So there's a sense here of a saviour as well, isn't it? In this word, there is priest, there is king, there is saviour. We're understanding more and more about Jesus. How to bring this into our context. Um, imagine for a moment you're walking down Herne Bay High Street. 
and you begin to see somebody you vaguely know, just recognize their features. I'm sure I recognize them. I, I don't know which person to mention here. Jeremy Clarkson? Oh, that's gone well with some, but not well with others. Boris Johnson? Not gone well with a few, definitely. Um, for those sporting people, Mo Farah? There's a few smiles, but not many. Britney Spears? Oh, no, no, okay. Anyway, somebody you know, and you're suddenly walking down the street. Okay, so you're walking down Hernbay High Street, and you see somebody, you think, oh, that vaguely reminds Wow, that's actually them. The person that I've seen so many times and I've thought about so many times and I've, I've wondered if I could meet, that's actually them walking towards me. As a sense of surprise, sense of fulfillment. I always knew I'd meet Jeremy Clarkson one day. I always knew I would. Boris Johnson, Gary Simon, whichever one is... is. And there's that sense here of the mountaintop experience because they always wished that they met the Messiah. They always wanted to experience that. It was that excitement. Matthew 16, uh, verses 16 to 17, is a parallel passage to this. So I'm just going to read it because it adds one or two elements to it. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So they're essentially, just to add to that, that's an element of faith as well, isn't it? That we believe by faith in the one who is our saviour. Okay, so that's a lovely bit of theology, a lovely, lovely idea that he's the Christ. Wonderful. How does that affect us? Let's have a look at Acts 11.26. I'm using a lot of verses today, but I think it's important. Um, we'll come to an interesting story in a minute. So Acts 11.26 says this, and it's about uh, Paul, Saul, who was Paul, St. Paul. And when he found him, Paul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And the meaning of Christian is very simple. It's just a follower of Christ. So actually we are defined, whenever we think ourselves as a Christian or a Christian church, we are defined by that name. It's part of our identity now, that we are followers of Christ. So what does, how does, again, how do, followers of this, this concept, this idea, this thing that meant so much to them, again, how does that challenge us? What application, when I talk about preaching, I always say, what's the application? What's it going to mean to people in their next weeks? What does it mean to you to be a follower of Christ or a Christian? What does that concept, that idea mean? What does it mean to you about your attitudes? Attitudes maybe within the home. Attitudes to neighbours, to friends, or to those who are not your friends, but you seem to spend a long time with during the week. 
What does it say to you about your ways of thinking? How you think about the world? How you think about yourself? To think of yourself as a follower of Christ is very different to some times the ways we think about ourselves and our identity. Because remember, that is, in its purest form, our identity. We're not necessarily male or female. We're not necessarily old or young. We're not necessarily all those things. We are, in essence, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. That is our essence and our being. That is our hope and our future. Maybe how we speak about others is affected by the fact that we bear his name when we say those things. When we say things about somebody else, we're bearing the name of Christ. Maybe what we stand up for. There are times in families and in workplaces and when we have to stand up and say, look, I'm not happy with that, or the other way around, I think we should do this instead. Sometimes that's defined or should be defined by who we are. Maybe defined about who we, what we speak about. What are our topics of discussion? I have to say, my, my yesterday was one of highs and lows. Highs with the rugby and lows with the cricket. That's what I spent my time. But what do we spend our time doing and thinking about? And maybe this one, and this is the last one that I was thinking of this morning. How does it affect how you respond when you sin, when you get something wrong, that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are a Christian? Okay. So that's the uh, easy part of the message. I've now got a little bit of a challenging story for you. I'm just winding you up to it, getting you ready for it, um, just so that it isn't. And... um, I was just thinking, really, how do I bring this home to you in terms of the importance of our identity in Christ? And that is our foremost important, what matters, and beyond anything else. So I've taken a story uh, from a book that some of you may have heard of. It's the book Safely Home by Randy Alcorn. Uh, Some of you may have, yes, I can see one or two have uh, read it. Um, It's a fictional book. Uh, But it's based around real-life events that happened during um, the communist rule in China. Um, Written about 20 years, 25 years ago, something like that. So it's a book that rather than tell somebody's story and maybe put their relatives in danger, just took a number of stories together, anonymised them and made them fiction. Does that make sense? So what happened was true, but it wasn't necessarily true for those people. So that's... Okay, so here's the story. Uh, I'm going to try and say the names correctly. If I don't, you have to come with me. Li Chuan, Li Chuan, Chuan, uh, and his wife and his eight-year-old son, Li Chen, cycled to church. They started cycling at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because, of course... He had to get to church in the dark, in the safety. When he got to church, um, there were his family and maybe about 20 others in a simple house. Everything was moved to the side so they could, a few benches were put out. And what did they do? They read from government-banned Bibles. They shared gently together um, and spent about 30 minutes praying for the needs 
of the church and the church more broadly. Who was there? Where was the old and the young? There were families and singles. There were even a group, a group of three of new converts who just started coming along to church and just been led to Jesus about six weeks ago. They even sung a song, although they're a bit concerned about what the noise would do. Okay. Suddenly, as you might expect from the story, the police burst in with pistols and assault rifles. And their leader, who they called Scarbrow because he had a scar over his brow, um, went to the front brandishing his weapons. And he said, this is an illegal gathering. You have been distributing foreign propaganda. You don't deserve to live. You're brainwashing children. You do not deserve to live. And he said to them, and those that have just come in can think about this as well, he said to them, there are two sides of this church. There's the left and there's the right. And in three minutes, you have to decide whether you're going to go to the left or you're going to go to the right. To the left are those who respect the government and who are happy to say, actually, I'm wrong to spend time in church. And for you, there will be freedom. You can go to the left and then go out the door and go home. And on the right will be those who still want to identify themselves as Christians, this banned religion. And for those, they will be shot in three minutes' time. And they all had to make that decision. As you can imagine, they moved slightly uncomfortably. They looked at each other. One family moved to the right. Another family started discussing. Li Chen and his wife started saying, well, I don't mind dying for Jesus. We've had a life, but what about our eight-year-old son, Li Chen? What about him? The three new converts, all three, moved to the right and stood up. It's only a story, isn't it? But it still gets to you. Stood up for Jesus. And eventually, as they were shouted at, at the end of three minutes, there were 18 on the right-hand side and five had walked out. I wonder what our choices would have been at that time. I wonder how we would have been feeling in terms of our identity with Jesus. Is that more important? than our security, our safety, our family. It ends well. Because suddenly, the atmosphere changed. Scarbrow started to smile. And he said, forgive me, brothers. I am Fu Chi. I come from the village along the mountains. And we've had a lot of infiltration into our Christian meetings. And we needed to know that the people we were talking to were people who would genuinely stand up for Jesus and there were no spies left in the room. And as you can imagine, the congregation, having thought that their time was up, were then very slowly trying to transform their mindset back to these are just brothers and sisters that we can now fellowship with. But it brings that question, doesn't it, to us. 
It brings that question of what it means to us to be a Christian. It brings that question down to what is the identity at the core of our being? What is the identity that affects our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes? I think it's going to be difficult to worship from there, but it is amazing, isn't it, to celebrate with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are going through such difficult times, whether that's in Iran or China, whether that's in Somalia or Afghanistan. But it's amazing that we have the privilege this morning of worshipping Jesus, the Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you.